Let us pray. Almighty God, you alone can bring into order the unruly wills and affections of sinners. Grant your people grace to love what you command and desire what you promise. That among the swift and varied changes of the world, our hearts may surely there be fixed where true joys are to be found. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Old Testament reading is from Isaiah chapter 43. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise, they are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. The word of the Lord. A reading from the New Testament from the book of Philippians. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as but rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, That comes from the law, but that which comes down through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends upon faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. The word of the Lord. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. And when the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the servants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And then he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away 
empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one they also wounded and cast out. And then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance will be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give their vineyard to others. And when they heard this, they said, Surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. And the scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them. But they feared the people. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Perhaps uh, you've noticed um, that some folks um, at the reading of the gospel, when the deacon says this, um, the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke um, today, uh, some people do this. They make the sign of the cross on their forehead, um, over their mouth, and over their heart. Maybe you've seen that and you thought, what are they doing? Are they brushing stuff away? Is that weird? Am I allowed to do that? You are allowed to do that um, if you would like to. You don't have to. Uh, but basically, that's a way of saying um, it's a tradition that says, may I know this truth in my mind? May I speak it with my mouth? May I believe it in my heart. So, um, so that's a little mysterious liturgical thing that I'm explaining to you. Um, uh, and again, now um, you all are, are welcome to do that. And uh, let's pray for that. So, Lord, we do pray as we reflect um, today on um, your scriptures and specifically on this gospel reading from Luke um, that we would learn it in our minds, that we would speak out uh, the truth that is revealed to us, and that we would believe it in our hearts. And we pray um, for that work uh, to be done through your spirit at work in us, Lord. Um, give us eager and open hearts um, to learn uh, from you and um, to believe. Give us faith, Lord, we ask. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So a number of years ago, I was um, uh, reading a novel. I came uh, to the end um, of this novel. I, I won't tell you what it was because I'm going to spoil um, the end. Um, uh, but uh, um, near the end of the novel, uh, the main character uh, was killed. Um, and I wasn't expecting this. It wasn't, it wasn't a crime um, novel. I was completely shocked when this character was killed. And I was really mad like genuinely angry that the author killed this character. Um, it was the first book I'd read by the author. I knew he had other books that took place in the same small town um, that this book took place in with the same characters. And so when this character was killed, I realized he's not going to be in future novels. And I was, again, genuinely upset. I don't remember ever being so mad at an author as I was at that moment. I went to bed um, uh, that night, and I had a, a very clear dream um, about a, a man named John Fawcett, a, a friend of mine. Now I'm getting choked up, uh, um, who had um, died about six months uh, before that from a, a brain tumor. Um, and I woke from that dream, and I was thinking about John, um, who um, a friend of mine actually, a relative, sort of, he's my sister-in-law's brother, um, and had had a huge impact on me and on many people. He's an amazing uh, worship leader, um, very gifted in prayer, um, uh, just a man who had had a huge impact on a lot of people, and left behind two young kids and, and a wife when he died. 
And as I woke from that dream and was thinking about John, I suddenly realized, oh, wait a second. It's not the, the author of this book that I'm, I'm really mad at. Um, actually, it's the author of life uh, who I'm mad at. And that book touched something for me of my grief um, that this character, this person, um, had been taken away, uh, uh, at least by my you know, perspective and what my, I experienced. And so that story that made me so mad, I realized, oh, actually God's putting something, uh, sort of putting his finger on my heart and helping me see I've got something I need to keep working through with the Lord. This is something for me to pray through and to seek out the, the struggle I was having um, in my grief. Maybe you've had that experience. Maybe you've heard a story. Maybe someone said something to you, right? Maybe something happened to you that you realize, I am so mad about this. And then you realize, oh, there's actually something else that I'm mad at. That this story, this moment is actually pointing to something else that maybe the Lord is wanting to address and to deal with. Well, today in our gospel reading, we have a story um, that made people mad, uh, to say the least. Um, and I want to consider, right, how they actually heard this story and felt that anger and did not respond, at least the ones we know of, in the way actually the, the Lord was inviting them to. There was an invitation here in this story. And again, at least the religious leaders that we're told about did not respond to that invitation in the way that God was inviting them to. They actually pushed into that anger in a very unhealthy way. But I want to consider that and then ask the, story, ask the question, what does the story stir up for us, perhaps? Right? Maybe it doesn't make us mad when we first read it, but I wonder if there are things in here, challenges in here, that maybe we can listen to and say, hmm, God, what do you have for me? Maybe there's something you're wanting to put your finger on that I need to bring to you and wrestle with. So let's go to get a sense of the original context, what's going on here. And then let's ask the question, what maybe is God speaking to us and to, to seek out um, uh, what he may be calling us to do? What maybe the story stirs up for us? Uh, this is actually the second to last parable um, that Jesus tells in the Gospel of Luke. We've had a couple um, teachings on parables uh, before this in this um, Lenten season. The final parable actually is hardly a parable. It's just kind of almost more just like a, a metaphor Jesus uses, but it's called a, a parable. Interestingly enough, that final one is about a fig tree. This one's about a vineyard. Two weeks ago, I talked about a parable that had a vineyard and a fig tree. Um, so common um, um, symbols. Um, and this takes place after Jesus has come into Jerusalem after what we often call the triumphant entry, which we'll be celebrating next Sunday. And so the chronology, we've got to get our minds around, right? Next Sunday we'll be celebrating the, the triumphant entry of Jesus coming into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Uh, but um, again, this actually takes place probably the next day or next couple days after Jesus has come into Jerusalem before, of course, he's arrested and put to death on the cross. So that's the, the setting of this. And when Jesus comes into um, Jerusalem um, on Palm Sunday, and again, we'll talk about this next week, on the triumphant entry, people praise him, right? They celebrate him. They say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Basically, they're treating him like a king coming into his kingdom, like a, a savior, right? And then Jesus immediately, after coming into Jerusalem, goes to the temple and actually kicks out those who are selling things in the temple. You may remember that moment, a very memorable moment in the ministry of Jesus, and he says, right, you're treating my temple, my father's house, like, um, you know, a den of robbers, quoting the uh, prophet Jeremiah. Not surprisingly, right, the next day or again sometime in the next couple days, religious leaders come to Jesus and they say, who gave you the authority to do what you're doing? Right, understandably, right, he came in and cleaned out the temple as if he was in charge of the temple. And so they're asking, who gave you this authority? 
And Jesus says to them, I'll answer your question, but you have to first answer a question from me. Jesus does that a lot, right? He answers a question with a question, and he says, John the Baptist, who gave him his authority? And what sort of authority did John the Baptist come? Now, they um, kind of debate among themselves, how do we answer this question? If we say, well, John, you know, didn't have authority from God, or, or Jesus specifically says, is it from God or from man, right? Is it from John himself or from God, right? And they basically know if they say from God, then Jesus will say to him, why didn't you believe him then, right? If, if John came from God, you should have obeyed John. You should have listened to him, but you didn't. If they say, oh, John just made it up, then they know people will be really mad at them. Everyone loved John the Baptist, right? They actually say people will stone us. They'll put us to death if we dare to speak against John. And so they say, we don't know. They refuse to answer it. And Jesus says, well, I'm not going to tell you where my authority comes from. But basically he's told them, right? It's from God. I mean, he's made it very clear, right? I mean, if you're not willing to, you know, acknowledge that John's power came from God, you know, you're not going to be willing to acknowledge that I come from the Lord. And so then this parable comes. And again, it's important to see that context because it's all about authority, right? Who, where's the authority coming from? Who has given Jesus authority? And so that's behind this parable. And again, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, when the parable begins, a man planted a vineyard and led it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. It's not subtle, the message, right? The, the symbolism here is very clear. Right? As I talked about two weeks ago, when we read vineyard, right, we see that multiple places in the Old Testament scriptures, that the vineyard represents the people of God. It represents the nation of Israel. And so when um, Jesus talks about a man planting a vineyard and letting out to tenants, the imagery is clear. This is the nation of Israel, and this is about the leaders who God has put in charge, whom he has entrusted to lead his people. It's about the religious leaders. It's about those that he's talking to, the scribes, the, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law at that time, right? There have been many leaders over the nation of Israel, kings at times, judges at times, but he's speaking to them. And he says, when the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sends another servant who's also beaten, a third servant who's also beaten. Again, the imagery is really clear. A right, matter of fact, earlier, and this was a few sermons ago on Youth Sunday, we had the passage where Jesus prays over Jerusalem and says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, those who have killed the prophets and stoned those who have been sent to you. I mean, that's basically what now this story is capturing. God sends his prophets. He sends those who represent him to speak to the tenants, to tell them the fruit that's being born in this vineyard, it belongs to the owner of the vineyard. You need to give some of your fruit to the vineyard. You need to acknowledge the Lord, and they mistreat the prophets. So again, message is clear, right? The prophets were sent, and you mistreated them. They were abused, basically, by the owner, by the tenants of the vineyards, by the managers of the vineyards. And then, verse 13, then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Once again, right, not subtle. Right? I mean, Jesus is being very clear. At the very beginning of the Gospel of Luke, or near the beginning, at the very beginning, right? But near the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, we have Jesus' baptism. And what does the Father speak out over Jesus when he's baptized? This is my beloved son. Right? And here we are, right, near the end, um, uh, at least of Jesus' ministry before he's crucified. And he says, right, I will send my beloved son. There's a, a reference back. And perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir, let us kill him so the inheritance may be ours. Now perhaps here we can stop and say, 
Does that make sense? Like, really? Like, are they thinking, like, okay, this, surely the owner of the vineyard will give us the vineyard if we kill his son. Um, Well, at that time, actually, it was the case that if somebody who owned land, um, if they died without an heir, the managers of that land did get that land. And so there was sort of, you know, a precedent um, for that. But I would say probably in general, if those, um, the managers of that land have killed the owner's son, they're probably not going to get the land, right? I mean, and again, this is one of those moments, and we, we always want to be aware of this when we're reading um, parables, where probably the people listening to it are thinking, what? Like, okay, yeah, I mean, like, you know, sort of, but, like, that's a really bad plan. Like, don't kill the son. You're not going to, the, the owner's not going to be happy with you. And so they're surprised, right? They're shocked. And then Jesus asked the question, what will the owner of the vineyard do to them, right? What, what do you expect? Now, again, the answer is really obvious. Of course, he will come and, you know, take them away, right? I mean, remove them from management, destroy them, and put others in charge. But then why is a response surely not? Like, it's clear, of course, that's what's going to happen. Why would you be surprised by that? Because they understand. Right? You know how at different times in the scriptures it talks about Jesus spoke with authority, Don't you hear that right here? Like the incredible authority that Jesus speaks with, right? They don't say like, it's just a story, you know? Like, okay, that's your version of things, whatever. You know, you're just telling a story, right? They're upset, right? They're angry because they understand what Jesus is saying, right? They say surely not because it's like, you're suggesting, right, that we, right, the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, right, that will be taken, leadership will be taken away from us, right? Clearly, that is the message. You're actually saying that we'll kill the son, that we'll kill the Messiah, right? That's crazy. But Jesus looks at them directly and says to them, what then of what is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That's from Psalm 118. He's saying, look, who is the Messiah going to be other than one who is rejected, right? It's a message that he's kept telling his disciples they still don't get. Finally, they get it after the resurrection, right? On the road to Emmaus, if you remember, he says, didn't the scriptures say, right, that the Messiah would suffer, right? I mean, isn't that clear? It's clear in Psalm 118, that the chief cornerstone, the ultimate, the Messiah, the Savior, will be rejected. And he's saying to them, this is what's going to happen, right? And you are going to reject me. It's a warning. It's an invitation, right? Don't. I mean, we've been told at the very end of chapter 19 of Luke that they were seeking to destroy him. Jesus knows, right? And we're told again right here that they sought to lay hands on him, to, to arrest him. But they're afraid of the people, right? This is where Judas comes in. How did they secretly arrest Jesus? So they've been given a warning. And they resist it. So again, what's in this for us, right? We can read this as a history lesson. Again, we can see the power of Jesus' teaching and how he taught, how he challenged and invited people through his teaching. But what's the challenge here for us? What are the invitations? And I think it's just really good for us to reflect on who is this owner of the vineyard? What's he like, right? If this is an image of the Lord who, who entrusts others to manage his, his vineyard, what does this speak to us about who God is? And, and where perhaps is there maybe some challenges here, um, some invitations here that we can take to heart? Well, first, right, we see in this um, parable that Jesus is saying, right, my father, right, the Lord, the owner of the vineyard, he's generous. He actually lets his vineyard out to tenants. Right? I mean, that's amazing. That's generosity. I'm going to entrust this vineyard to others. Right? I mean, the Lord doesn't go away, right? That's the imagery in the, um, um, in the parable. He's with us, but he has entrusted um, his people to manage his kingdom, right? To, to be stewards of that kingdom. And so we can read about the tenants and say, oh, yes, that's the Pharisees, right? That's the religious leaders. But then we need to say, well, who is that today? 
Right? That's the ones whom the Lord has called, again, to be stewards um, of all that he's given. The one whom the Lord has given gifts, given resources to. The one that the Lord has called to lead. And that's all of us, right? In, in different ways, right? In different places, through the different vocations that the Lord has called us to. But the Lord has given all of his people gifts. And those who the Lord calls to follow him, who respond to that call, again, are given responsibility in the kingdom. And that actually speaks to the generosity um, of the Lord, right? That he, he shares responsibility with us. He calls us to use our gifts to, to serve him. And again, generosity actually is connected um, uh, to trust, right? I mean, we give to those things that we trust, right? We're doing um, uh, our Good Friday offering, which we do every year. That'll be at our Good Friday service. You can give to it now if you'd like to. You just um, uh, note that it's a Good Friday offering, but we're giving to Ukraine, right? And the huge needs right now for the people of Ukraine and for refugees coming out of um, Ukraine. And we're giving to three different organizations, all organizations that we have a relationship with that we trust, Right? And our hope is that actually the trust in those organizations will encourage you to be generous. Right? It's encouraging us to be generous. These are people that we trust, that we know will be good stewards of the resources that we share. And the Lord, in being generous with us, is basically saying, I trust you. I trust you to use the gifts, the resources, the circumstances I've placed you in. But that calls us into that place of, oh, I'm just a tenant. Right? I mean, that's a big deal that I'm a tenant in the Lord's vineyard. But that's my identity. I'm a, I'm a steward. I'm a servant. Now, again, when we read the parable, we're like, okay, well, the bar is pretty low, actually, on what makes for a good servant. Don't kill people. Like, okay, I can do that. Like, all right, that's all right. But again, who was being killed? It's those who are bringing the word of the Lord. I'm not saying don't kill me, don't kill Pete. Um, uh, That's not my point. My point is actually when we receive the word of the Lord at times, right, our response may be resistance. Our response may be resentment. How dare he, right? How dare he call me to this? We can actually forget, oh, he's the owner of the vineyard, right? The fruit that I have, it ultimately belongs to him. And all he asks is for me to share some of it with him. But to be aware of those places, where do we feel resentment? As I talked about a couple weeks ago, certainly some of the fruit, one image of the fruit is is repentance. The Lord calls us to bear the fruit of repentance. As we're confronted with our, our sin, the places in which we don't line up with what he's calling us to, to repent, to acknowledge, Lord, I need to turn to you. I need to trust and you, I need to turn away from those things that you call sin because those things damage me. If you call it sin, then it is sin. It's damaging. So there's certainly a call to repentance. To remember, he, he decides, right? We submit to what he calls us to. But I think there's, again, also a call to um, joyful, right, obedience in, in the areas that he has called us to serve, in the places of responsibility. To remember, actually, that the Lord wants us to bear fruit and to present that fruit joyfully to him. I don't want you to hear in this, I'm saying, do more for the Lord. I mean, maybe the Lord is calling you to do more for him. That may be. Maybe the Lord is saying, here are new areas of service. Here's new areas that I want you to serve me, right? Through your family, through your work, right? Through the church. Um, it may be that, right? But again, oftentimes when our focus is on, I need to do more for the Lord, usually that's probably coming from a place like, I need to prove myself. Or I need to show others how holy I am, right? And I'm calling you to as an attitude that says, oh, it is a joy to serve the Lord. That his generosity actually has, has given me responsibilities and things to do to glorify him. And that's a joyful thing. I mean, when you read this parable, you think how good it would have been, right? What a happy parable it would have been. If, you know, that servant was served, sent to the tenants and they said, of course we have fruit, right? We've been waiting for you. And we can't wait for you to bring this fruit to the owner of the vineyard for him to see how well we've managed his vineyard. 
Right? Matter of fact, next time, can, can the owner come himself so that we can show him? Look what we've done with your vineyard. You've been so generous to us. It's our joy to give back to you. Right? Think about you know, a parent giving um, their kids you know, markers and pieces of paper. And the kids write, they take those, and they make pictures, and they bring them to their parents. Look what I did with what you gave me. Right? There's a joy in that. So that's what I encourage you to, to consider. Right? How am I responding to the responsibilities the Lord's given me? Is that actually, thank you, Lord, for being generous? And then to be aware, where do we push back against that? Again, is there ways in which that kind of annoys us? Is there ways in which we hear that and we think, I don't really like being a tenant, right? And to be honest about that. Again, to, to feel maybe the places the Lord's putting his finger um, on um, some sore spots. To be able, again, to seek the Lord in that and to say, Lord, I'm, I'm struggling, right? I'm feeling some resentment to the responsibilities you've called me to. Help me to see, right, that you are a good and generous owner of a vineyard and that actually it's my joy to present that fruit to you and to be a part of that. So there's the generosity of the Lord, but clearly also we see in this passage the patience of the Lord. And again, we love the patience of the Lord, right? I mean, we love that the Lord is patient. He is merciful. We're going to sing great songs about that as we celebrate communion together. The mercy, the enduring love, right? The Lord never gets tired of us, right? He's always willing to forgive. He calls us. He pursues us to turn to him and to seek him. But I'm kind of struck. Sometimes I like the patience of the Lord for myself, but then when the Lord is patient for others, it kind of bothers me, right? You know, it's like, thank you, Lord, for being so patient with me, but why are you so patient with that other person, right? You know, they're driving me crazy, you know? Why don't you judge them, right? That may bring them to justice. And when we read this passage, it really is challenging how patient the owner of the vineyard is, right? Three servants, and then he sends his son, right? Again, we should enter into the strangeness of this. What was that owner thinking? Why would he send his son? That's too patient. That's too merciful. And that's the mercy, right, of the Lord, right? That's the patience of the Lord. And so we celebrate his patience. We receive his patience. But sometimes as well, his patience leads us to cry out, how long, O oh Lord? How long? I think of the martyrs in the um, book of Revelation, who you see crying out to the Lord, how long, O Lord? And the Lord says to him, what does he say to him? Wait a little bit longer. Right? Keep, keep waiting, right, until the fullness, right, of persecution basically has been built up. At times, the patient Lord says to us, wait a little bit longer, right? The Lord waits on us, but he also calls us to wait on him. But again, as we struggle with the patience of the Lord, right, where maybe that makes us feel a bit annoyed or bothered, Right, we also have to note, right, the justice of the Lord, right? We can acknowledge his patience, that he um, gives opportunity again and again to these tenants to turn and to trust in him. But the time comes where he says, enough, basically, right? Where no more, surely not, they say. But he looks at them and says, the stone that the builders reject has become the cornerstone. There will be justice, right? There will be judgment, And again, sort of the third quality of the Lord, I think when we hear the justice of the Lord, we say, yes, that is what I want. That is what I'm so thankful for. The Lord brings justice. But of course, the justice of the Lord is tied to the judgment of the Lord. I think that's a word we don't like so much, right? We don't really like thinking about the judgment of the Lord. I think when we hear judgment, right, we often think, well, judgment's often unfair. People who are judgmental usually are arrogant, right? They think they know best. They think they can, you know, tell me what to do. But the fact is, the Lord is judge, right? And the Lord judges fairly and justly. We want him to be the judge. We actually want to learn what we are to do from him. 
And so, to, again, feel that challenge, right? We want the Lord's justice, but do we feel the challenge that he is the judge? That even as we struggle with, at times, his patience, at times we also struggle with his justice, knowing that the Lord will fully bring justice. But again, as we wrestle through those things, to come back to that Psalm 118, right? The very one who judges is the one who experienced rejection on our behalf, right? The cornerstone, the stone who, if he falls on you, you're broken to pieces. If you fall on him, you're broken to pieces, right? Basically, the Lord is saying the stone wins, right? No matter what, the stone prevails. The Lord judges, the Lord prevails, but he is the one who has been rejected on our behalf, Again, there's mysteries here that we can wrestle with, right? As we wrestle with the patience of the Lord, the justice of the Lord. But we remember, we trust, right? Because we know he is the one who gave his very life for us. The son who came for us. And that's from Psalm 118, which, as we'll talk about next week, when the people cried out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, just right the day before this, they were quoting Psalm 118, right? The same psalm. So the psalm that celebrates Jesus coming, right? The victorious king is a psalm that also acknowledges he came to be rejected on our behalf. He came to suffer. So again, my invitation is, as you perhaps you know, consider these things and feel some of that tension, feel some of those things where this is hard for me, to not be like the Pharisees, right? to not turn away, to not stay in that anger, but actually to bring that to the Lord. I'm sort of in the spirit of St. Paul, our reading from Philippians. I say, Lord, I want to know you. I want to know your generosity even when it challenges me. I want to know your patience. I want to know your justice. Let's pray for that. Father, we do just pray that you would pour out your spirit on us. Lord, may our heart cry be to know you. And Lord, um, you are beyond us. Uh, You're beyond our understanding. And yet we can know you. And we thank you for that, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that there would be an openness where this parable perhaps we hear things in it and we say, surely not that we would hear that as an invitation uh, to walk um, in new ways with you. Lord, I pray as we begin Holy Week next week that that would be an opportunity for us in this season um, to, to walk intimately with you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.